Welcome everyone. Hi, it's Henry DeVries of Indie Books International. Welcome to the Marketing with a Book podcast. It's our pleasure to have one of our authors on today, uh, an expert in branding, and we'll be having conversations about a certain kind of brand that you want, and that's what we have to look forward to. But first, let's have our author roll call, meet a few of our Indie Books International authors who are on the call today. I'd like them to state their name, where they're from, and the title of their book or their upcoming book. So I'd like to start that with Patrick and then Christopher. Thank you, Henry, and it's a pleasure to be here. My name is Patrick McGowan, and I am uh, the author, or soon-to-be author, of the soon-to-be bestseller, uh, Across the Lens, How... Uh, and I forgot my subtitle, but I'm working on my subtitle, and it's going to be magnificent. It has to do with Zoom presence. It Patrick. does have to do with Zoom presence and video presence and yes. actually how to come alive on Zoom. So it's going to be it's going to be such a great book and everybody's going to read it and they're going to love it. We're going back and forth with the art director on the on the cover right now. OK, well, thank you for that. Uh, Christopher, you are much farther down the pike. Congratulations. This is a big day. My name is Christopher Hodges. I'm in Denver, Colorado. The name of my book is right in front of you. Noble Automation Now how to motivate, innovate, and transform with intelligent automation and beyond without my fingers. And the reason this is a big day is because the boxes showed up today. I couldn't be happier with Indie Books International. Thank you. You're welcome. When do you get on the airplane to go talk about that book? Uh, I'm doing my first, oh, sorry. I'm doing my first big keynote in Orlando in mid-December and pretty darn excited because I'm benefiting from, frankly, coaching from Mark and Henry. I know it sounds like a promo, but it's really true. It's amazing how powerful this, this stuff has been. Checks in the mail, Chris. <laughs> okay. Uh, David and uh, then uh, Joe. David and Joe. Thank you, Henry. I am David Golden. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I wrote the book, The Road to Happiness, How to Get What You Really Want. And I am in process of writing another book with Henry and Mark called Bringing in the Business, and very excited about that. That should be out uh, sometime in the first quarter. Thanks, David. And um, did, did uh, Joe, have you gone yet? Not yet. Oops, I'm sorry. I am Joe Palo. I'm in Shoreview, Minnesota, and I'm author of How to Sell Nothing, The Logical Way to Make the Emotional Sale. Thanks, Joe. Oh, and thanks for the uh, nice referral, Joe. Appreciated it. Uh, sure. No worries. Here today. Um, and then uh, Mark LeBlanc. Thank you, Henry. My name is Mark LeBlanc. I'm out of Minneapolis. And this is book number six, uh, co-authored with Henry and Scott Love, uh, titled Rainmaker Confidential. Thank you, Mark. So I'll go. Um, that's my 14th book. Uh, this is the one that helped launch Indie Books International, Marketing with a Book. Not marketing a book, marketing with a book. We're in Oceanside, California, which is halfway between the San Diego Padres ballpark and Disneyland. And that's how we like it, talking about international brands. Well, our guest today is one of our newest authors at Indie Books, Jane Cavalier. She's one of the foremost leaders in the country on brand strategy. 
She's worked on over 120 brands, let me say major brands. So she's rebranded global enterprises like Esso and Samsung. She helped create brands like Snapple, Quest, AT&T Business. She's given branding solutions to Johnson & Johnson, American Express, and the US Navy. That's always interesting to me. Like, Paint the ships brown. No, great. So we'll hear more about that. Uh, after a career on Madison Avenue, she founded one of America's hottest creative boutiques and has led stra strategic planning at McCann Erickson. Uh, she formed Rightmark Consulting. She currently serves on the boards of uh, several educational institutes and nonprofits, including the Rand Graduate School. Uh, please welcome Jane Cavalier. So Jane will have Suzanne do her magic here and get us pinned side by side. There we go. Thank you, Henry. Through the miracle of Zoom, here we are together. Here we are. Thank uh, you. Thank you everybody for joining us today. So give us the book introduction. Tell us about the book. <laughs> well, Henry, my book is really for leaders who, who need to get people behind their organizations during a very difficult time for humanity. So I call it managing the human side of business in an upside down world because we live in a world today that is unlike any that we've ever been in before. And most people don't really, I think, have a keen sense of what that means. Like, oh, well, you know, we've always had change. This has changed like we've had before when it's not. And I think the book talks about the very volatile part of anyone's organization, which is people, and how people are more volatile now more than ever to, due to a breakdown in a variety of things, and how the best way to manage people around your organization moving forward is to use the power of enchantment, to stimulate the imagination as people start to make decisions from the inside out versus taking what the culture says and bringing that in. So it's a whole different world for leadership and that's really what the book is about. Jane, as we worked together, we knew that there were a lot of books out there about brands and branding. You coined a term, the enchanted brand. Talk to us about what is in your mind an enchanted brand. Well, the premise around enchanted branding is different than the premise behind traditional brands, which traditional brands have been about selling right? Um, creating differentiation to sell a product or service. But the essence of an enchanted brand is to serve. It's to serve people who are in a very difficult and changing environment. The purpose of an enchanted brand is to liberate them. And so they can transcend circumstances which are difficult to understand. And when an organization creates an enchanted brand, they forge loyalty and preference in a world where loyalty and preference is very hard to come by. Your book is very impressive in that it gets into specifics and specific brands, more than a hundred that you talk about. And there's certainly brands that we can relate to. Are there some enchanted brands out there right now that you like to point to? Sure, I mean, you know, Henry, I like to point to some very pervasive common examples because it helps people to really understand what I mean by brand. 
It was funny when you said paint the ships brown because a lot of people equate brands with a tagline or colors or a logo. And, and that's not the way an enchanted brand or the way that I relate to brands. I relate to brands as cultural artifacts. They're made by humanity to connect to humanity, just like pieces of art. Like you and I look at a piece of art, we look at it a little bit differently, but we kind of take away the same thing. It speaks to us on a non-rational level. So let's take a simple example that everyone I think is familiar with would be, let's say Apple, right? So Apple entered the market after IBM and IBM was selling products based on reputation and CPU processing power and improving productivity. And Apple came in and said, you know, we don't really see, uh, our brand is not about that. Our brand is about empowering creativity, liberating creativity with the kinds of products and services we create, whether it be computers today or uh, a music platform later on, it will always be about that. And in some sense has a root to the, you know, tether to the original Da Vinci journals and Da Vinci's exploration of uh, you know, releasing creativity that we all have within us. So the, really the essence of that brand, which is what now 20, 30 years old still is today. It's what people look to and consistently delivers that empowering message of you can create anything, music, visuals, photography by using Apple. That's one example. Yeah. And uh, I believe it was, was it Chiat Day who was uh, the agency that sure. was largely behind the branding at Apple? Uh, I got to interview one of their executives back in the day and had good branding advice for any company, even uh, you know a company my size or uh, any size. But it was the, they said, be unique in the marketplace. Yeah, uh, I, th I think- Something they, special. Absolutely. And I think that when I, I say, you know, small branding with branding with a small B or branding with a capital B, branding with a small B is, you know, find your value proposition and translate it to transmit it to the marketplace. That's that's marketing, really. Yeah. Branding with a capital B is a little bit different. It's find a transcendent idea. And express that idea in multiple ways. And and that's where really the enchanted brand takes that paradigm to the next level which is let's take that even further and create intellectual properties that stimulate the imagination so people transcend the reality they can't understand and rather than be afraid by it, imagine and create the kind of world they wanna be in. Now we don't have enough cultural, if you will, indicators around us to help us think that way. And so the great fear expressed in the book is that as technology and climate change and fiscal collapse and many unthinkable events and continuous disruptions, you know, really create a world where people start to get daunted and shrink. I don't understand this. And this is where also in one of my chapters, I write about the rise in conspiracy theory. Why? Why is there this big rise in conspiracy theory? It's, it's like the age of mythology. When people can't understand reality, they create a reality they can understand. And that's what they cling to. And in, re and in conspiracy theory, the more outrageous the conspiracy, the stronger it is. Again, the really leveraging the power of the imagination. I really know what's going on here. And people start to create their own facts and their own mythologies. So 
Part of the thing I say in the book is that corporations who flood our culture every year with almost a trillion dollars worth of messages need to be accountable for the brands that they create. And we've never held them accountable, right? We just let people create brands and put them out there and whatever they do to the culture, anorexic girls, for example, we never hold anybody accountable. We just say, well, these things happen. So I think, I think companies and organizations should be accountable for their brands and they should use those brands to contribute to humanity and society at a time when we need it most. And that's, that's part of the foundation of Enchanted Branding. If we look historically at 120 years ago, uh, with Theodore Roosevelt becoming president, companies were held accountable for ingredients and liability. It was a big shift. So now what I hear you saying is they also need to be held accountable for the outcomes that they are producing, even if they're unintended outcomes. Is that a fair statement, Jane? I think that's a very sta fair statement. I mean, this kind of gets to the rise of new essentialism, which I talk about in the book where people will take actions based on what they feel is right. And so who's holding, who's holding companies accountable? Cancel culture? People. People aren't gonna wait anymore for the government, for legislation. They will, they will take matters into their own hands. That's why you have to cancel culture and hold brands accountable. So you see a lot of that happening today. Jane, I quoted you extensively in a very controversial Forbes.com column this year. If we go back in the time machine to early this year, the place is Atlanta, Georgia, and Major League Baseball cancels the All-Star game in Atlanta and moves it to Denver because of pressure it was receiving from, I have to believe, not only corporations like Coca-Cola and uh, some of their other, you know, MasterCard and these other sponsors, but also the players themselves who were concerned about these laws. One side was saying corporations should not be participating in this dialogue. And you and other people argued the other side. So what is your view on the corporate role in being part of these larger discussions, socio-political right. discussions? I think I remember when we talked about that, I did cite three historical precedents where this had happened before being this not being the first time. But still, I think it's a the point is it's not just in sports, it's in many places and it's unavoidable. I mean, as brand makers, we have always advised over the decades that brands should be neutral, but brands don't have a choice anymore because, as mentioned, right, people are forcing them into the conversation with the power of interconnected communications, people have the power. Look what's going on with uh, Oscar Health Plan now, right? A real cause of racism. And overnight, brands can be brought to task, can be put on trial. Now, whether that's right or wrong, it's not, it's not a judgment, it's just a reality. So how do, you, how do you deal with that kind of risk? I think part of it is you need to be able to forge some kind of emotional relationship where you always get the benefit of the doubt that's the way Johnson & Johnson has survived. Always get the benefit of the doubt, no matter what. So you say, well, how do you create that level of a bond, that level of respect with others? And I think this becomes, how much do you serve them? How important is your brand to their life? And I think there's some people who are very inspired by their brands and who will stand by their brands no matter what others say. So I think 
anything is possible. I think you have to pay attention and you have to know that your brand is a vehicle for mitigating downside risk, which has always been why Johnson & Johnson was hugely successful. They weren't, a, they weren't a pharmaceutical company. They were a healthcare company. They had consumer products that were all about a bond between mother and child, which is the most sacred bond across cultures from the beginning to the end of time. So they tapped into that powerful idea. So we're playing with, you know, empires of the mind, right? These are, this is really the, the game, the stakes and the game is being played in the mind. And so enchanted brands are saying, you know, it's not about marketing. It's not about messaging. It's not just about differentiation. You can do that, but not if you want to win in this kind of world. We can all relate to these stories of the big brand of Johnson and Johnson, Tylenol, these things that get discussed in the court of public opinion. But let's take it down to small business in America. What's your view on branding for the small business person? It's the same principles. I mean, I only use the big brand examples because it's a common framework that allows us all to you know, have a shared understanding. It doesn't matter how big your organization is. And you can create a powerful brand and an enchanted brand with a very small group. And the purpose of that, it's not just the customers, it's your employees, it's your shareholders, it's the community in which your brand operates. All of these, this is why I say the human side of business, it's very volatile and there are a lot of different constituents. So brands of the past may have focused on, this is your customer, this is how you differentiate. An enchanted brand is about serving all of the people around your business and recognizing that they all play a role in bringing you up or taking you down. So Henry, same principles apply regardless of what sector you're in, regardless of the size of your organization. I've often heard it described, it's about a balance of the three Ps of profit, certainly, but also people and then also the planet and what we're doing to that. Do you view those as the right filters for an enchanted brand or is there more? I think those are good filters and planet purpose you could substitute. Mm -hmm. um, I think those are good filters for assessing corporate value. I think the, the fundamentals of an enchanted brand is does it enable a surrender? You know, enchantment enables a surrender, which is why you're able to get into the back door of somebody's heart and mind and activate a change, a fresh look, a new action. To, to be able to ignite that surrender, you know, takes a poetic idea. I always say there's a difference between poetry and journalism, right? And that's a little bit of what we're talking about here with the brand versus the marketing. Um, and so, to me, in, in a world that's so frightening, so volatile, so ambiguous, where you can't trust anything, it's a deep fake, what's real, what's not, you know, you can change your gender, you can create a baby without, you know, in a lab, I mean, people are traveling in space for the heck of it, it's just like, what the heck is going on? And in the middle of this, you have a lot of lost people. And during that, like I say, if you go back to times or cultures where people are lost, you know, where does the resiliency come from? How do they find their way? And you'll find the mythology, right? And that's what these brands are. They're modern mythologies. 
And I say that corporations should take up the banner of doing this because who else is going to do it? Government's not going to do it. People don't create brands. Companies and organizations create brands. And if they create enchanted brands and flood our culture with them, imagine the positive impacts. Brands that aren't there to sell you, but to serve and empower you during a very difficult era. And in doing so, I believe you will reward those brands with your loyalty. If I recall correctly, you pointed out that the Supreme Court has ruled that these corporations have freedom of speech and that uh, with great freedoms come great responsibility. Um, is, is that accurate? Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, it's interesting because brands are a little bit of a niggle about, about that because it's not as straightforward as speech, right, in making a corporate statement. It's a, it's a creative intellectual property. It's like art. And it's very hard for the government to pass judgment on art. But those of us who create brands, we know we're creating art. We know that we're speaking to people in ways that are not obvious. And I still maintain that people need to be accountable. Companies need to be accountable because they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars. And these are very well-designed, strategically designed pieces of art. And by the way, when they're in our culture, they take on a life of their own. And they start influencing. It's not easy to pull them back. And you're talking more than just uh, Mr. Peanut and the giant Kool-Aid pitcher. Uh, but give us an example about uh, how they take a role of their own on sure. it. I mean, and again, I want to use, I like to take enchanted brands because they've been around. There just hasn't been that many of them, right? And a lot of times, like I'll talk about John Deere and just the aspirational American farm ethos. Like, oh, those farmers and in that, you know, you, you say that in people's minds just go to this place, right? And, 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 they, and they love that. Or, you know, I think I often go to Chanel, which is in often terms defines feminine beauty or what is divine feminine beauty? Well, you know, embracing Kristen Stewart as a modern uh, uh, emblem of Chanel really says that feminine beauty has evolved over time. That's a real cry from Michelle Deneuve, right? With some of the originals from the 1970s. Right. But that brand has evolved over time and embraced that divine feminine beauty can change and will change. So just like art reflects the culture and art is the culture and it's a little bit of both and that's what powerful brands do. So enchanted brands like, like I said, Apple or Chanel or even Nike. I always love the idea that, and I want to go back to the roots of that enchanted brand because there, there was a split you know, in the, in the brand makers behind it, half wanted to base the brand purely on athletic performance from a superior product. And another said, no, it's going to be about, you know, releasing your inner athlete. You might not be able to be part of the fitness revolution by doing something, but buying this brand is a step forward. Do all the things you've always wanted to do. Get off your butt and do it. That was That's a big enchanting idea. Translating all the way down to the, the swoosh and the slogan, just do it. Yeah, and those things are signifiers that carry it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly which became right. part of the lexicon. It's part of the culture of America. So. Yeah, and one can argue how many people got motivated and are still motivated by just hearing those words. Yes. And to think it all started with a man with a waffle iron and a shoe and was yeah. trying to just create a better track shoe. So well, it's been a long read, Yes. When you read his book, 
uh, and the brand maker he was working with, he, he learned how to use the power of intellectual properties, that just having a superior product and a value proposition wasn't enough. This was uh, Phil Knight. Yeah. I, we're talking about Phil Knight. Yeah. yeah. She was talking the book and it talks about the building of that brand. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, I was involved in the running world and we would have different sponsors. So we always had to make sure who was sponsoring and if we were wearing Nike or Reebok that day. Um, that's a good way to lose the account, to show up with the wrong shoes. Other than that. <laughs> you know, Henry, when we think about, you know, going back to the human side of business, and of course, now we're reading about the Great Resignation. You see also the Pew study that recently showed, you know, a huge jump in the amount of Americans that don't want to have children because they just don't want to have them. 40% now. Yeah. And you're seeing really, really big shifts in the culture. And that's part of the rise of the new essential and people living life from the inside out, making you know, when we had the pandemic, people just were given so much time to think, so much time to think. And with all of that time to think, they had a lot of introspection. And out of that and became a lot of decisions about living a new kind of life, less is more. Maybe I don't need that big job. Maybe I don't want to live in that kind of place. What kind of life do I really want? And this is not just the millennials. It really is crossing all ages. It's very hard to govern people who live, you know, with a consciousness of new essentialism. How do you get the commitment? How do you tell them to rise above, to do more than just what they have to do, to overachieve, to excel? How do you, how do you make that happen? And I think that enchantment in getting a level of surrender and bringing people emotionally close is the best shot that we have. I'm sorry, you're gonna say something, Henry? Oh, it was just a, to get your comment on, we live in the smartphone culture where, um, talk about transparency, um, you can be videoed, uh, if that's the right word, uh, videoed and then put up to the web for everyone to see in, in an instant. Um, the story of the woman who um, made an inappropriate tweet to 20 friends on her flight from London to South Africa, um, when she had landed, millions had read the tweet and her company fired her when she landed. So you talked about the volatile world that we live in, the uncertain world. Um, with all that, um, on a personal level, what, what's our responsibility with this? I mean, I think it, 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 it begs the question about authenticity. I think we all, as companies, as individuals, have to be true to who we are and know that some people are going to judge it and not like it. We might get fired for it. I mean, you know, she, she tweeted it. It's obviously the way that she felt. And she can either say, I'm sorry, as people do, that I've offended you, or I'm sorry, but this is who I am and this is how I feel. Or maybe you're right, I need to do some changing. You know, it's, it's, it's very interesting, but I think there's, to your point, there's no hiding. And, I, you know, an enchanted brand is not designed to hide anything. Companies will do things that are wrong. Bad things will happen. That's just a reality. What it's trying to do is to be, you know, an insurance plan. Even when bad things happen, don't forget, you know, we are here to help you sincerely get above, you know, and beyond what's before you. See, we're not perfect. Nobody is. But if you don't have that What's I'm that? sorry, I cut you off. Jane, I was going to say, let's do a lightning round of who, what, when, where, why, and how 
So who is your who? Who is the book written for primarily? Who do you want to reach? I want to reach anyone leading to two, I'd say two audiences. One, anybody leading an organization that is facing a lot of disruption and worries that they don't have a way to align and activate everyone around their business, shareholders, customers, they're concerned that they don't have all of those locked up and ready to go, no, ma no matter what come may, right? Right. I think the other one is anybody who is spending, for instance, I was talking to CVS, I think their advertising budget is $700 million. You know, Geico and Apple spend over a billion dollars a year. Anyone who is flooding our culture with a brand to be accountable for that brand and to make that brand into an empowerment tool for people. So those are the people that I want to reach. What is your what? Why, what is the the reason for you, the work that you do? Well, I've always believed in the power of art and I brought the power of art to the commercial world through the work of branding. And I think that art is what brings us together, what keeps us human and what helps us through and brings us to better places, you know, because there's a lot of truth in art. And I think it connects to people beyond their brain to another level. And so that's what really keeps me going. So I like to create positive change, growth for companies that matter, you know, and I think brands are tools that really help do that. When, when is the book coming out? When's gonna be your big push? Well, I'm proud to say that I'm publishing with indie publishers and we are planning to launch the book in February. Um, it'll be available on all of the major channels and um, hopefully we'll also be doing a lot of work to stir a lot of conversations. I mean, the book has, it's meant to be a thought starter. There's also some how-to sections. Um, I think there's also some personal things about how you can bring more enchantment into your life. But all in all, it's all about how branding is, is also part of a blueprint for a better world. So if you want to help contribute to the greater good, this is another way in which you can do it. Okay. And you covered the where there that it'll be in the various channels that you can get a book now on right. Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and yep. uh, Audible and eBooks on 12 different platforms. We like to encourage our indie books authors to be an amplification group for other authors. So we all have followers. We all have people who respond to what we do. So if we share each other's books, that just amplifies the good work that we're doing and the positive impact we're having on people. So the last question is how? The tips on what are your you know, three main tips you give people to create an enchanted brand? Oh, sure. I mean, the first tip is what I would call a classic branding tip, but it's true for en enchanted brands. Branding isn't about what is your story, go ahead and tell it. And it's more marketing. Branding is more of what are the dreams that people you're talking to really want? I wanna be a great dad. I wanna be a world traveler. I wanna be a beautiful woman. I wanna be the strongest person on earth. So the first thing is identifying the really big dreams of the people that you wanna reach. It's their story. It's not your story. It's their story. So that is really how you start understanding about how to create a brand. That's, that's how to 
number one. I think number two, I always say, a lot of it's in execution. You may have the most poetic and beautiful insight and idea. You have to take the time to get the words, the poetry, and the graphics right. Because that's also part of a seduction. There is beauty in that. Now, everybody's beauty is different. It can be rough and tumble. It can be street and urban, all different kinds. But there's a lot of care that has to be taken in that piece of it. And then the third part is, you know, when you have all of that together, you have to introduce it into the right places. And you have to have some real consideration about who embraces it first. Where is it seen? What is it associated with? Um, and I think if you look at, just focus on those three tips, that'll get you into the right place. I think those are great tips for thought leaders. First, we need to know what is the dream of the people we're trying to reach, our who. And I certainly know for us, it's they want to have more impact and influence. They want more credibility. They want to impact more people. Um, and then second, it is about execution because um, you just can't do it sloppy. You can't do it cheap and cheerful. You, you really have to worry about it. Um, and then the third, uh, as they say in architecture, God is in the details. Uh, we're certainly in the details of all of this. Any thought you wanted to share before we sign off, Jane? Well, my last thought is that, you know, life was easier in the 90s and the 80s, you know. You could, you could grab a book that Jack Welch wrote and he could give you all the answers to what you need to do to manage your company. But it doesn't really work like that anymore. I mean, I'm a really big fan that everybody has to create their own playbook, their own playbook. And I think, um, you know, I think the Enchanted brand can be part of that playbook, but I encourage leaders to read and explore and trust their own judgments and instincts because we don't know what works in the real world. What has worked in the past doesn't really work in the future. We, we know that today, you know, I'm on the, the board of RAND and, you know, we know that complex problems can't be solved with the same thinking and tools that we use to solve regular problems. That's why we can't get rid of perennial issues. We need different ways to attack and unpack and solve the problems. And I think that this very much is the same with leading people during this era. So you have to buy into the premise that people are living in a wildly different environment and they're changing in ways that they do not understand and that you have to explore new ways of leading them. So that's my parting thought. So you made Chris Hodges' ears perk up uh, to shine a little spotlight on Chris when I was editing his book that just came out today. Uh, you know, buy two, they're small. <laughs> but uh, he had a passage where he was talking about Jack Welch and he said, Jack this and Jack that. And I said, well, Chris, we don't really use the person's first name unless we're friends. And he said, well, he always told me to call him Jack. Um, I didn't realize Chris was one of the top executives over at GE. So um, thank you for this. Thank you for sharing uh, today. I know you've made a very generous offer and Suzanne can put it in the chat that uh, if somebody would like uh, a free 15 minute consult uh, with you, um, time permitting and what continent you're on, but uh, you would do that with people. And we always say our brand is generosity and we appreciate the generosity of our authors like you, Jane. So thank you. Thanks everybody uh, for 
the session today. We look forward you, to Mary. seeing you next week. So uh, let's give it up. Let's uh, do the uh, thank you to Jane. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. I really appreciate being here. Thank you so much. And now you have a video that you can post about your book. Yes, indeed. Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, yeah, it's all it's all part of promotion. Okay. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Marketing with a Book podcast.